This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. We've got deep dives on NC State and Wake basketball today. West Durham in 30 minutes. Dot also this hour. But we start with optimism in the NBA. As according to Chris Haynes of Yahoo Sports, LeBron James, Chris Paul, Dame Lillard, Giannis, Russell Westbrook, KD, Kawhi, and Steph were all on a private conference call on Monday and banded together in favor of resuming the season. That led, apparently, to an optimistic call between Adam Silver and the NBA's Board of Governors. And this all feels like a major breakthrough for basketball's return, and it seems like it's the right thing to do for the league as well. It's also fitting, I think, that the last dance is the backdrop for all of this because players, they are the ones that drove this. Quite often in basketball, players are the ones with the power now who drive the bus. So there was no way the season could return or anything could gain traction without LeBron, Kawhi, Steph, and the Stars signing off on it. And I can't help but think what Michael would have done if he was in this spot. You know, the dude in his second year in the league who was injured, wanting to return to a team that was nearly 20 games under 500. The owner said if you get hurt and there's a 10% chance you can get hurt, your season and your career might be finished using the analogy, hey, if I gave you a box of pills or a bottle of pills and I told you nine of them would cure you, but only one might potentially kill you, would you still take the pill? And he said, how bad's the headache? How bad's the headache that it could potentially fix it? Michael had that hunger to get back on the floor, and I think all the great players have that. The great ones, they love basketball so much, they would be willing to take assumed risk in order to get out there. I think about Zion Williamson, who we covered firsthand at Duke. His show, his shoe, excuse me, implodes, and you see the national debate. Before that even happened, Scottie Pippen, I guess predictably, watching The Last Dance, said, I wouldn't worry about college basketball. I'd just be worried on the draft. I would leave Duke immediately. This is in January, before that Duke-Carolina game. So I went up to Zion, and I asked him about what Scotty said. I don't think there's anything cooler you can do as an 18-year-old than get a question about Scotty Pippen talking about you on television and say, genuinely, you did not know what he had to say. A Hall of Famer is talking about you on TV. He didn't know about it. He asked what he said. I told him. He said, I couldn't do that. I couldn't leave Duke. I love this place. I want to play. I want to get on the floor. I have fun with my teammates. So he gets hurt. Everybody thinks, wrap it up. Don't sacrifice your pro career. Zion says, bleep that. And he plays against Syracuse in Charlotte. And he goes 13 for 13. And he breaks ACC tournament records that held for almost half a century. That's what great players do. Kevin Durant. Yeah, he will get bothered, and he could be thin-skinned. Might have a burner account or two and fire off at some people. But that guy loves to hoop. 
He joined the Warriors because he thought he wasn't thinking about legacy. He was just thinking, oh, it would be fun to play with those guys. It becomes simple for the great ones, for LeBron, for Michael, for Zion, for KD. Dame Lillard, I'll even use him as an example because he's the only one involved on that phone call that doesn't play for a team that right now would be in the playoffs. Yet Dame Lillard wants to play. Sure, there's economic effect on this. You want to maintain the CBA. You don't want to potentially lose ground for that. But I think it means a lot that you have the stars pushing this now and even a star that's not playing for a team that's likely going to make the postseason. Your thoughts are welcome on Twitter at SportsHubTriad, 336-777-1600, be in the phone number. What's your thought on the NBA season returning? Robert Walsh is the producer of this show. Aaron Gabriel, he's at the control room as well. The other thing just needs to be said this way, and it's not being said this way enough. The players are at essentially no risk. No risk of facing significant harm. You think about the guys who actually contracted coronavirus. They're all good. Most of them were asymptomatic. The average age of an NBA basketball player is 26 years old. The CDC released a chart in the last day that has the deaths monitored on a chart that uh, I think is per 1 million people who have had this virus. And if you're 24 or under, you have less than a 1 in a million chance of dying from coronavirus. Less than 1 in a million chance. And that's if you get it. So you're not even guaranteed to get it, of course. If you do, guys, most of them playing in the league, one in a million chance, less than that, of dying from coronavirus. So it's a chance that I think many guys should be willing to take. As for the league and liability and perception, I get Adam Silver not wanting to rush back. He's pretty much batting a perfect game as a commissioner, going back to the Donald Sterling stuff. He's maybe the only likable commissioner, even though Roger Goodell's making a bit of a comeback among the major four pro sports in this country. History is not going to criticize Silver for trying, even if it fails. Because he was the first commissioner to shut it down. It was his decision to lock things up two months and one day ago on March the 11th that led to everything else following suit. That's how he's going to be remembered. Because even if the NBA comes back, like we're expecting it to, he will not be the first sport to return. UFC already going on. UFC 249 was this past weekend. NASCAR got races this weekend in Darlington. And you got a race in Charlotte the following week. Golf, mid-June. MLS, by the end of June. I'd bet baseball starts before the NBA. So history is going to remember what Silver did on March the 11th. If he comes back and fails, likely he's not going to be alone in that. And I don't think people are going to criticize it. What I would have issue with, not trying at all. I can't endorse that message. Like I mentioned, we're doing ACC Big Four deep dives 
all week long. Really, it's just a two-day stretch. Yesterday, we talked about Duke and North Carolina. If you missed it, find it on the podcast, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor. Today, we got NC State and Wake Forest. We'll get to Wake Forest in a little over five minutes. NC State, the big news with them, they lose Josh Hall, who was seen to be their top prospect coming into this class. Just like last year, they lost Jalen LeCue, who ended up making an NBA roster, playing a lot of G League ball, though. We suck. And Kevin Keats' class got some heat, but then I look at what they're actually bringing in with Juco's, and also they get another good point guard in Cam Hayes. It's a damn good class, and they have a lot of guys coming back. I'll even go as far to say this. For the first time at NC State, Kevin Keats, he has the depth to play the style that he wants. At UNCW, it was all about strength in numbers and pressing you. And it didn't matter if the pack accumulated fouls, or I should say the Hawks accumulated fouls, will get someone else out there who could play just as aggressive as you did. Ideally, Keats would want 10 players in his rotation to play at least 10 minutes. At UNCW, all the years they were good. Nine or 10 players in that rotation played at least 10 minutes. You could go back and look at it. It's pretty easy to find. His three years at NC State, here's the following numbers of players NC State had playing more than 10 minutes. Three in 2018, 2019 three, last year eight. So an improvement, but still not where they want to be. Still not the same numbers he had when he was at UNCW. With the transfers in a good class, I think they're going to get there. Also, five of the seven leading scores NC State had, they're coming back. I personally feel like Devin Daniels was the best player on State last year. I think he was better than Markell. I think he was better than C.J. Bryce. Of course, injuries factor into that, but I thought he was tremendous against the Blue Devils and really showed up in the big games when they needed him. Jericho Hellams good at small forward and came on at the end of the year. DJ Funderburk and Manny Bates, they'll make up possibly one of the three best front courts in all of the ACC. Cam Hayes is that four-star point guard. I think it's an exciting point guard tandem. It's Hayes, it's senior Braxton Beverly. It's the perfect role for Beverly. I didn't say this as a knock on Beverly the last few years, but he was NC State's best shooter. And if NC State wants to be a perennial NCAA tournament team, that can't be your best option on the perimeter. But six-man, that's perfect for him. If he plays the same role, let's say that Ryan McMahon played at Louisville last year, then NC State's going to be very dangerous. He's a senior. He's more experienced. Great free-throw shooter. Very aggressive. I I really like Braxton Beverly, the role that he has this year, versus all the other ones that he had. Real quick, let's go to Denzel and Ridgeway before we get to an update on the Panther Stadium, Wake Forest, and then, of course, we'll get to West Durham at the bottom of the hour. Denzel, what do you got for me on the NBA's return to basketball? Hey, I couldn't agree with you more, Josh. I think you're 100% right on the money. Uh, Do you remember uh, when Magic came back when he had the AIDS virus, I guess, and he got cut in the game and how scared everybody was? Yeah. I mean, it's just like, I mean, you know, this is not only – I only think it's even close to that. And the other thing I was going to ask you was, 
Okay, well, if uh, he's trying to get 10-man rotation at stake, because you know I'm a stake fan, sure. does that mean he's going to kind of copy Roy Williams' offense? He's going to <laughs> All right, thanks for the question. Appreciate that, Denzel. I don't know if he's going to copy Roy Williams' offense, even though coaching often is a copycat uh, profession. But I, I would say if you look at, say, what some of the schools that have platooned in the past have done, that's kind of what NC State is shooting for. You know what? In the same league, I'll say maybe it, expect it to look a lot like Florida State. Does that mean NC State's going to compete for a regular season conference championship like Florida State did a year ago? I'm not going to go as far to say that. But Florida State was always aggressive, very good defense, and they rotated a ton of dudes. At the point I was covering them at the end of the year, they had nine or ten guys who had hit a game-winning shot for for them that year. Or I should say lead them in scoring uh, in a ball game. So that might be what it looks like. Maybe don't think Roy Williams' style but what Florida State and Leonard Hamilton did. All right. We've got a significant development on David Tepper's pursuit for a new stadium for the Panthers. And we got a deep dive on Wake basketball. That's all coming up next on The Drive. Ding, ding, boys. School's in session. Let's go, man. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Wes Durham from the ACC Network now in with us. And much like sports across the world, it seems like the last few days, Packer and Durham making plans to make a comeback on the linear platform. (laughs) Next Monday, is that when we can expect it or when? No, 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 no. First of all, congratulations on the uh, bumper music with Brick. Nice choice. Um the uh the Packer and Durham linear return is actually in some way Saturday with the uh Michael Jordan uh Carolina deal, which is it's gonna be a special deal. You have all the games broadcast and you and Packer are gonna do stuff. Well, we're doing a one hour show. Uh we're doing Jordan at Carolina with special guests and we've got a great group of guests, Roy Williams, Sam Perkins. Muggsy Bogues, Ralph Sampson, uh, even a quick visit with the commissioner. And also Mark's dad's going to join us, which is wow. uh, new for us. Um, so that that show is uh, being posted right now and will air on uh, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. So that's the first time we'll be back on the linear space, if you will. And then the next linear is going to be what we're uh, – it sounds like a news magazine – uh, Sundays, Packer and Durham Weekly, which is going to premiere the following week at a yet-to-be-determined time. I'm thinking Thursday um, is what's being discussed. I'm kind of breaking news to you here a little bit. That's pretty um, cool. The uh, And Steve Forbes of Wake Forest is going to be on that show, uh, a full, a longer interview with the commissioner, uh, and then uh, a couple of other things that Mark and I have got planned. Now, it won't be the – Top 10 list you saw this week on Twitter. It won't be the Kentucky Derby that lived there a couple of weeks ago. Um, (laughs) But it'll still be as close to Packer and Durham as we can get during a pandemic. And uh, we're pretty excited about it and and being able to engage people and have some guests and things like that. And a lot of credit goes to Drew Brooks and Josh Macri, who produce our show, but also Casey O'Brien and uh, Angela McQueen, a bunch of other people that are involved, uh, MK and some others that are involved in, in getting this thing 
from the Zoom, if you will, and uh, getting it to look like Packer and Durham or as close as we can during all yeah, this. Yeah, and go back to some of the stuff that, that Wes has done on the web with Mark Packer and some other great guests. I mean, you got Leonard Hamilton singing last night. Yeah, on, there's, on Instagram. That was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff that you guys are doing, but mentioning Billy Packer and Steve Forbes I think is yeah. a perfect transition to where I want to go here because – I'm looking at Wake Forest's new coach and Steve Schwartz, and I'm interested in what you make of this guy's personality because dating back to Carl Tacey, who passed away recently, Mm -hmm. seemed to be such a gentle man, and going through Dave Odom and Skip Prosser, who'd quote Thoreau more than I'd imagine him spiking medical face masks into a practice floor, you got Jeff Bezdelic, Danny Manning, who weren't quite the outgoing types. That's fine. It doesn't really mean you're... Uh, you're less of a basketball coach for it. It's just a different style. Have we ever seen a coach at Wake Forest possess this everyman vivacious personality we've already seen lead to Wake Forest becoming national part of the conversation under Forbes? Well, I think that, you know, you got to remember a little bit about transitions in program history. Um, You know, nobody would have ever expected Jim Valvano to replace Norm Sloan, okay? And Jim Valvano was the perfect guy to replace Norm Sloan because he was not from Indiana, did not play for Everett Case, uh, did not consider, you know, plaid sport coats the most outlandish thing he would do, right? Um, <laughs> Jim Valvano came in and his personality won over the Wolfpack fan base when they, quite frankly, struggled early. Uh, and then you get the magic of Albuquerque and, and Valvano becomes Jimmy V, right? Um, I think Steve Forbes, and in our visit uh, today, we visited with him today on the on the weekly piece you'll see late next week. I'm always impressed by, number one, his story. I think his story is something that we ought to embrace. I was told before I ever talked to him for the first time, the day before his presser, that he was a basketball lifer. And I think you have to remember the guys had quite a journey, and I think that journey is going to help Wake Forest. I think that I can see where John Curry sees his background as being a real positive in rebuilding Wake Forest basketball fortune. Now, I think the other thing that you have to completely respect about Coach Forbes is he um, he totally embraces that he's coming into a league with Hall of Famers. He's coming into a league that, you know, even though he grew up in Lone Tree, Iowa, the ACC was something that he knew about. And now you come into the ACC where – You've got Williams, Beheim, Bennett, Shashevsky, um, not to mention a guy who he, you know, competed against in the Southern Conference and Mike Young. I mean, I think there is some book of knowledge that he has that is something that I I respect about what he's getting ready to undertake. And I think the other part about it is, and you, you've probably covered this at some point, Josh, is that look, he he wants to build that team, but this is a this is an incredible challenge in this light to build a team. I mean, you can't sit across the table from Olivier Saar and discuss, you know, what you mean to say as opposed to what ultimately gets released that you said. You know, those type things. What did um, you make of that statement, by the way? He said it on our I show. I thought you and Matt Jones, that was special. I thought that was really Uh-oh. quite quite impressive. Uh, and I'd, about- like to w- I'd like to welcome you to the big leagues of abuse from the Big Blue Nation. I took it. You took it. We all take they're, it. They're going and, after Zion and Duke people well, now. Well, that's fine. I mean, they'll, they'll move on to something else at some point, and that's fine. But, no, I, I think that, you know, what he said was that, look, he's Olivier Saar has been three years at one of the top 25 schools in the country. Do you want to be here for the academic side? You say you do. Well, then 
by the way, it's of note that a degree from here would carry a little more than maybe a degree from Kentucky. The question I had, and I've talked to Wake people privately about this, if Kentucky was, they lost a kid who decommitted uh, from their class to somewhere else around that time that this was happening. And if John Calipari was fearful of losing this kid, let's say to Wake Forest for this circumstance, and made the argument, hey, uh, why would you spend... Why would you go from here that produces a ton of great NBA draft picks to go play for Wake Forest and that got out? I don't think anybody really has an issue with it because you're talking about the athletics. But it's it's factual information. Kentucky, better for your NBA career than, say, Wake Forest has been of late. Why is it different if it's if it's academics? Why that's, is it different if you make the irrelevant argument? to. I appreciate where you're going with this, Josh, but that's irrelevant to the discussion at this point because we're talking about basketball, not books. And so the basketball side of this is the only thing that matters in that state. Yeah. I don't think he has the basketball to sell, though. So I guess it's just something you have in your bag. Look, I think he's trying to understand, I think, you know, what he said to you, and I didn't hear the quote specifically. I've read it, so I'm going to trust that it was quoted accurately. I mean, he's just talking to the kid in a matter-of-fact way about what's going to happen. Exactly I mean, right. The, the parameters of the academics in relationship to all the other things. You know, look, it's it happens to everybody. I, You know, I criticized – I wrote on a radio station blog when Randolph Morris from the Atlanta area left Atlanta to go play at Kentucky and not play at Georgia Tech for Paul Hewitt on the backside of the national championship team, the team that lost to UConn in the Final Four. And I heard from everybody and their little yellow dog, and that's fine too. That's part of it. I mean, <laughs> you know, and welcome, like I said, welcome to the club. Um, I mean, and we're all there. And I've 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 caught it from Georgia people. I caught it from Virginia Tech people in the fall when they thought I had them too low in the power rankings after they beat Carolina in six overtimes, and their next best win was Rhode Island. You know, what I mean. So I look. I understand where it's coming from. He's got to build a program though, and right now. I think the thing that you're talking about in the personality of Steve Forbes is going to be critical in the rebuild of that program because here's the deal. If they're 8-22 and 22 next year, is are, are people going to walk around with their head down? Not if he has the right momentum and attitude and philosophy and they play the way he's talking about, which I think will be critically important to them. Um, it's a little bit like, and ironically, I'm going to use a Kentucky analogy here. Uh-oh. It's a little bit like the first year Patino was in Lexington. You knew they were on probation. You knew they couldn't go anywhere. So how did you get crazy basketball Kentucky to embrace, you know, the former coach of the Knicks who, you know, as the late Bill Kitely, who was the equipment manager, said after Patino got off the phone with Richie Farmer for the first time, he said, how'd it go? And Patino said, I think it went okay. And Kitely said, well, I'll have to talk to him because I'm guaranteeing he needs a translator to understand you. You know, I mean, because Richie was from the, the, the coal mines of Kentucky. And I think Steve Forbes being from Lone Tree, Iowa, matters in this particular scenario. And I think it matters because he's had a basketball life. He understands what Wichita and uh, College Station and Knoxville and the junior college in the Panhandle League of Florida and all these other – all that stuff is going to matter in his first year at Wake Forest, whether they're 8-22 and 22 or 22-8. and eight. His personality, his momentum, his emotion, all that's going to be an important factor, along with, oh, by the way, style of play. Oh, by the way, energy in the building, things of that nature. Let's just hope we're all in the building 
for, you know, Steve Forbes' first year. And, and look, I think it's a good hire. I think it's one where if you start to dig a little bit, you understand how the fit really works for what John Curry needs, and I think that's important too. I want to close out on this, West Durham with this. He's on Twitter, at West Durham from the ACC Network. Make sure to watch Michael Jordan's classic games at Carolina all Saturday and the special program Hen and Packer are going to be doing as well. When you think about Jordan's days at Carolina, does your mind first go to the freshman breaking into the national consciousness in New Orleans or the guy who then dominated the league the following two years? For me, Michael is about um, Michael's about Carolina and the bowler plate that it's set to go to the next level. How's that? You know? I yeah. mean, when you think about Michael and you grew up in the ACC or you grew up in the state of North Carolina, whether you were you know, a Carolina fan or not, I – I think you think of Michael as playing in Chapel Hill um, and kind of what the freshman, sophomore, and ultimately the junior were. Uh, and I think that's important. I, I think it's a proud thing for ACC basketball that he played in the league. I think if you're a North Carolinian, um, even though I technically lived in Georgia longer than I ever lived in North Carolina, I still think of myself in, in many ways as a North Carolinian. And Michael Michael's a big part of our state's history, just like David Thompson's a big part of our state's history. You're an ACC lifer. You're an ACC guy. Yeah, that's that's what you think of. And and so, for me, the emergence of Michael in Chapel Hill and then being mad when Akeem Olajuwon and Sam Bowie were picked ahead of him. I mean, you want to talk about people that knew. It's like Pack and I have said several times. You had to be in the ACC to see how this guy – I mean, that game they ran last Saturday on ESPN, the Maryland-Carolina game, that was a hell of a game now. That you talk about stars on the floor. Sam Perkins had twenty seven and everybody wanted to talk about Jordan and Bias. And that's the kind of game that that's what the league was, and I think to a degree it's what the league still is, just in a different shape and form. Were but, you and your dad upset when Jordan got passed up on? I don't know if my dad was. I was. Although I, I was kinda you know, I was glad he was kind of staying east. But remember at the time the NBA was tape delay finals, man. I mean, you got to remember the NBA of the early 80s, The like yesterday was the anniversary of the Julius Irving move under the basket. I don't know if you saw that oh, on yeah. Twitter or Up not. And under. The, the Lakers. That was the tape delay game that ran at 11.30 on Friday night on CBS. Crazy. Just, I mean, it was – and I was up because I loved Irving. I mean, Julius Irving and Michael Jordan were my two favorite players as a kid growing up. I got to see Dr. J for the Virginia Squires and the New York Nets and the Coliseum as ABA fans and watching the Cougars. And then I got to see Jordan play. And then when they were – when Michael was at Carolina and Irving was in Philadelphia, those were my two favorite players. That and Walter Davis. Walter Davis will always be one of my favorite players. But that, that is – that's kind of what I think you have to remember about Michael was Magic and Larry saved the NBA. Michael Jordan – and this was said the other night. Michael Jordan moved the NBA to the next level. West. Michael Jordan became a worldwide – figure Josh see people forget that who saw him in the ACC he became a worldwide thing not just a U.S. thing that's that's why this has been such a great doc in many ways I think episodes 9 and 10 ESPN if you want the curse words on Sunday <laughs> ESPN 2 is where you get the cleaned up version I just want to spell it out for everybody who doesn't know at this point you know yeah. I'm all about the curse words I'm all about yeah. it yeah, I mean, Sunday night, Sunday nights, you can you can get the Sunday school <laughs> language on ESPN and the 
Does that mean the non-conforming non <laughs> language? Uh, the 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 adequate bleeps and blanks are on ESPN two. I was about to say, does that mean that you and Packer can just let it fly late at night no, on the network? No, 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 it is cable, but it ain't that kind of cable. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, thanks for doing this, Wes. It's good to hear no your voice. No problem. Pat. Take care, Josh. Have a great week. All you right, got it. that's Wes. Be Durham. well. He's All on right. Twitter at Wes Durham. We got B dot in studio with us. And how about this, B dot? ESPN listed off the greatest NBA players of all time. Finish the list today. I'll give you what I think should be at the top and a criteria to debate the GOAT. Mm. Next on The Drive. Ding, ding, boys. School's in session. Let's go, man. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. West Durham from the ACC Network now in with us. And much like sports across the world, it seems like the last few days, Packer and Durham making plans to make a comeback on the linear platform. <laughs> Next Monday, is that when we can expect it no, or when? No, 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 no. First of all, congratulations on the uh, bumper music with Brick. Nice choice. Um <laughs> The uh, the Packer and Durham linear return is actually in some way Saturday with the uh, Michael Jordan uh, Carolina deal, which is it's going to be a special deal. You have all the games broadcast, and you and Packer are going to do stuff. Well, we're doing a one hour show. Uh, we're doing Jordan at Carolina with special guests, and we've got a great group of guests: Roy Williams, Sam Perkins. Muggsy Bogues, Ralph Sampson, uh, even a quick visit with the commissioner. And also Mark's dad's going to join us, which is wow. uh, new for us. Um, so that that show is uh, being posted right now and will air on uh, Saturday morning at 11 o'clock. So that's the first time we'll be back on the linear space, if you will. And then the next linear is going to be what we're uh, – it sounds like a news magazine – uh, Sundays, Packer and Durham Weekly, which is going to premiere the following week at a yet-to-be-determined time. I'm thinking Thursday um, is what's being discussed. I'm kind of breaking news to you here a little bit. That's pretty um, cool. The uh, And Steve Forbes of Wake Forest is going to be on that show, uh, a full, a longer interview with the commissioner, uh, and then uh, a couple of other things that Mark and I have got planned. Now, it won't be the – Top 10 list you saw this week on Twitter. It won't be the Kentucky Derby that lived there a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> but it'll still be as close to Packer and Durham as we can get during a pandemic. And uh, we're pretty excited about it and and being able to engage people and have some guests and things like that. And a lot of credit goes to Drew Brooks and Josh Macker, who produce our show, but also Casey O'Brien and uh, Angela McQueen, a bunch of other people that are involved, uh, MK and some others that are involved in, in getting this thing from the Zoom, if you will, and uh, getting it to look like Packer and Durham or as close as we can during all yeah. this. Yes, and go back to some of the stuff that, that Wes has done on the web with Mark Packer and some other great guests. I mean, you got Leonard Hamilton singing last night. Yeah, on, on Instagram. That was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff that you guys are doing, but mentioning Billy Packer and Steve Forbes – I think it's yeah. a perfect transition to where I want to go here because I'm looking at Wake Forest's new coach and Steve sure. Schwartz, and I'm interested in what you make of this guy's personality because dating back to Carl Tacey, who passed away recently, mm -hmm. seemed to be such a gentle man, and going through Dave Odom and 
Skip Prosser, who'd quote Thoreau more than I'd imagine him spiking medical face masks into a practice floor. You got Jeff Bezdelic, Danny Manning, who weren't quite the outgoing types. That's fine. It doesn't really mean you're uh, you're less of a basketball coach for it. It's just a different style. Have we ever seen a coach at Wake Forest possess this everyman, vivacious personality we've already seen lead to Wake Forest becoming national part of the conversation under Forbes? Well, I think that, you know, you got to remember a little bit about transitions in program history. Um, you know, nobody would have ever expected Jim Valvano to replace Norm Sloan, okay? And Jim Valvano was the perfect guy to replace Norm Sloan because he was not from Indiana, did not play for Everett Case, uh, did not consider, you know, plaid sport coats the most outlandish thing he would do, right? <laughs> um, Jim Valvano came in, and his personality won over the Wolfpack fan base when they, quite frankly, struggled early. Uh, and then you get the magic of Albuquerque, and, and Valvano becomes Jimmy V, Right. Um, I think Steve Forbes, and in our visit uh, today, we visited with him today on the on the weekly piece you'll see late next week. I'm always impressed by, number one, his story. I think his story is something that we ought to embrace. I was told before I ever talked to him for the first time, the day before his presser, that he was a basketball lifer. And I think you have to remember the guys had quite a journey, and I think that journey is going to help Wake Forest. I think that I can see where John Curry sees his background as being a real positive in rebuilding Wake Forest basketball fortune. Now, I think the other thing that you have to completely respect about Coach Forbes is he um, he totally embraces that he's coming into a league with Hall of Famers. He's coming into a league that, you know, even though he grew up in Lone Tree, Iowa, the ACC was something that he knew about. And now you come into the ACC where – You've got Williams, Beheim, Bennett, Shashevsky, um, not to mention a guy who he, you know, competed against in the Southern Conference and Mike Young. I mean, I think there is some book of knowledge that he has that is something that I I respect about what he's getting ready to undertake. And I think the other part about it is, and you, you've probably covered this at some point, Josh, is that look, he he wants to build that team, but this is a this is an incredible challenge in this light to build a team. I mean, you can't sit across the table from Olivier Saar and discuss, you know, what you mean to say as opposed to what ultimately gets released that you said. You know, those type things. What did um, you make of that statement, by the way? He said it on our I show. I thought you and Matt Jones, that was special. I thought that was really oh. quite quite impressive. Uh, and I'd, about, like to, I'd like to welcome you to the big leagues of abuse from the Big Blue Nation. <laughs> uh, they, they're, I, they're took after, it, I took it. You took it. We all take they're, it. They're going and, after Zion and Duke people well, now. Well, that's fine. I mean, they'll, they'll move on to something else at some point, and that's fine. But, no, I, I think that, you know, what he said was that, look, he's Olivier Saar has been three years at one of the top 25 schools in the country. Do you want to be here for the academic side? You say you do. Well, then, by the way, it's of note that a degree from here would carry a little more than maybe a degree from Kentucky. The question I had, and I've talked to Wake people privately about this, if Kentucky was – they lost a kid who decommitted uh, from their class to somewhere else around that time that this was happening. And if John Calipari was fearful of losing this kid, let's say to Wake Forest for this circumstance – and made the argument, hey, uh, why would you spend, why would you go from here that produces a ton of great NBA draft picks to go play for Wake Forest? And that got out. 
I don't think anybody really has an issue with it because you're talking about the athletics. But it's a, it's factual information. Kentucky, better for your NBA career than, say, Wake Forest has been of late. Why is it different if it's if it's academics? Why that's, is it different if you make the irrelevant argument? to. I appreciate where you're going with this, Josh, but that's irrelevant to the discussion at this point because we're talking about basketball and not books. And so the basketball side of this is the only thing that matters in that state. Yeah. I don't think I he mean, has the basketball to sell, though. So I guess it's well, just something I mean, you have no, in your bag. I, I, look, I think he's trying to understand, I think, you know, what he said to you, and I didn't hear the quote specifically. I've read it, so I'm going to trust that it was quoted accurately. I mean, he's just talking to the kid in a matter-of-fact way about what's going to happen. Exactly I mean, right. The, the parameters of the academics in relationship to all the other things. You know, look, it's it happens to everybody. I You know, I criticized – I wrote on a radio station blog when Randolph Morris from the Atlanta area left Atlanta to go play at Kentucky and not play at Georgia Tech for Paul Hewitt on the backside of the national championship team, the team that lost to UConn in the Final Four. And I heard from everybody and their little yellow dog, and that's fine too. That's part of it. I mean, <laughs> you know, and welcome, like I said, welcome to the club. Um, I mean, and we're all there. And I've, I've I've caught it from Georgia people. I caught it from Virginia Tech people in the fall when they thought I had them too low in the power rankings after they beat Carolina in six overtimes, and their next best win was Rhode Island. You know, what I mean, so I look. I understand where it's coming from. He's got to build a program though, and right now. I think the thing that you're talking about in the personality of Steve Forbes is going to be critical in the rebuild of that program because here's the deal. If they're 8-22 and 22 next year, is are, are people going to walk around with their head down? Not if he has the right momentum and attitude and philosophy and they play the way he's talking about, which I think will be critically important to them. Um, it's a little bit like, and ironically, I'm going to use a Kentucky analogy here. Uh-oh. It's a little bit like the first year Patino was in Lexington. You knew they were on probation. You knew they couldn't go anywhere. So how did you get crazy basketball Kentucky to embrace, you know, the former coach of the Knicks who, you know, as the late Bill Kitely, who was the equipment manager, said after Patino got off the phone with Richie Farmer for the first time, he said, how'd it go? And Patino said, I think it went okay. And Kitely said, well, I'll have to talk to him because I'm guaranteeing he needs a translator to understand you. You know, I mean, because Richie was from the, the, the coal mines of Kentucky. And I think Steve Forbes being from Lone Tree, Iowa, matters in this particular scenario. And I think it matters because he's had a basketball life. He understands what Wichita and uh, College Station and Knoxville and the junior college in the Panhandle League of Florida and all these other – all that stuff is going to matter in his first year at Wake Forest, whether they're 8-22 and 22 or 22-8. and eight. His personality, his momentum, his emotion, all that's going to be an important factor, along with, oh, by the way, style of play. Oh, by the way, energy in the building, things of that nature. Let's just hope we're all in the building for, you know, Steve Forbes' first year. And, and look, I think it's a good hire. I think it's one where if you start to dig a little bit, you understand how the fit really works for what John Curry needs, and I think that's important too. I want to close out on this. Wes Durham with us. He's on Twitter, at Wes Durham from the ACC Network. Make sure to watch Michael Jordan's classic games at Carolina all Saturday and the special program him and Packer are going to be doing as well. When you think about Jordan's days at Carolina, does your mind first go – to the freshman breaking into the national consciousness in New Orleans or the guy who then dominated the league the following two years? 
for me, Michael is about um, Michael's about Carolina and the boilerplate that it's set to go to the next level. How's that? You know, I yeah. mean, when you think about Michael and you grew up in the ACC or you grew up in the state of North Carolina, whether you were you know a Carolina fan or not, I I think you think of Michael as playing in Chapel Hill. Um, and kind of what the freshman, sophomore, and ultimately the junior were. Uh, and I think that's important. I, I think it's a proud thing for ACC basketball that he played in the league. I think if you're a North Carolinian, um, even though I've technically lived in Georgia longer than I ever lived in North Carolina, I still think of myself in, in many ways as a North Carolinian. And Michael, Michael's a big part of our state's history, just like David Thompson's a big part of our state's history. You're an ACC lifer. You're an ACC guy. Yeah, that's that's what you think of. And And so for me, the emergence of Michael in Chapel Hill – and then being mad when Akeem Olajuwon and Sam Bowie were picked ahead of him. I mean, you want to talk about people that knew. It's like Pack and I have said several times. You had to be in the ACC to see how this guy – I mean, that game they ran last Saturday on ESPN, the Maryland-Carolina game, that was a hell of a game now. That You talk about stars on the floor. Sam Perkins had 27, and everybody wanted to talk about Jordan and Bias. And that's the kind of game that – that's what the league was. And I think to a degree it's what the league still is, just in a different shape and form. Were but, you and your dad upset when Jordan got passed up on? I don't know my dad was. I was. Although I, I was kind of – you know, I was glad he was kind of staying east. But remember, at the time, the NBA was taped delay finals, man. I mean, you got to remember the NBA of the early 80s, The like yesterday was the anniversary of the Julius Irving move under the basket. I don't know if you saw that oh, on yeah. Twitter or Up not and under. against the, the Lakers. That was a tape delay game that ran at 11.30 on Friday night on CBS. Crazy. I Just, mean, it was – and I was up because I loved Irving. I mean, Julius Irving and Michael Jordan were my two favorite players as a kid growing up. I got to see Dr. J for the Virginia Squires and the New York Nets and the Coliseum as ABA fans and watching the Cougars. And then I got to see Jordan play. And then when they were – when Michael was at Carolina and Irving was in Philadelphia, those were my two favorite players. That and Walter Davis. Walter Davis will always be one of my favorite players. But that, that is, that's kind of what I think you have to remember about Michael was Magic and Larry saved the NBA. Michael Jordan, and this was said the other night, Michael Jordan moved the NBA to the next level. West. Michael Jordan became a worldwide figure, Josh. See, people forget that who saw him in the ACC. He became a worldwide thing, not just a U.S. thing. That's that's why this has been such a great doc in many ways, I think. Episodes 9 and 10, ESPN, if you want the curse words, on Sunday. <laughs> ESPN 2 is where you get the cleaned up version. I just want to spell it out for everybody who doesn't know at this point, you know? Yeah. I'm all about the curse words. I'm all about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, Sunday night. Sunday nights, you can you can get the Sunday school <laughs> language on ESPN and the does that mean the, non, the non-conforming <laughs> language? Uh, the 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 adequate bleeps and blanks are on ESPN too. I was about to say, does that mean that you and Packer can just let it fly late at night? No, on the network? no, no, no. It is cable, but it ain't that kind of cable. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, thanks for doing this, Wes. It's good to hear you. No your voice, problem. Man. Take care, Josh. Have a great week. All you right, got it. that's Wes. Be Durham. well. He's All on right. Twitter at Wes Durham. We got B dot in studio with us. And how about this, B-Dot? ESPN listed off the greatest NBA players of all time. Finish the list today. I'll give you what I think should be at the top and a criteria to debate the GOAT. Mm. Next on The Drive.
Everybody stand for the national anthem. I recognize this one as an alternative to the one you might know. Was this the unofficial theme song for Houston Roughnecks football this year, Aaron Gabriel? It was and is. Forever in our hearts. Dot, he's in studio with us, the unofficial mascot of Tar Heel basketball who's outfitted jacket to toe with Wake Forest gear. Shout out to, to the Deeks. Shout out to Randolph Childress and Coach Forbes over there trying to rejuvenate the program. Let's go. Hope we can catch up with Brandon Childress next week. This segment here is perhaps the highlight of my week because I love learning. Mm-hmm. reading new things, watching documentaries. It's a hobby of mine. One thing I enjoy learning as well is just how ignorant I am to the urban nomenclature or to urban vo- vocabulary. And it's not necessarily, I don't want to make this a black and white thing because Robert, he's as white as anybody I know. In fact, I'm worried about him with things getting hot outside you're, you're applying the sunscreen, right? I, I am neon white. <laughs> That's right. But you're very good at knowing urban vernacular. I'm not. As somebody who part of my job is being around a ton of different cultures, a ton of different people, this is something I need as like uh, self-improvement. Mm-hmm. I need to get better in this category. So we have BDOT's Grammar School where he exposes just how little I know about the urban vernacular. Josh Graham has his own way of speaking. In high school, he didn't play sports, but he did wear a helmet. And just when you think it can't get any worse. My English teacher wanted to flunk me in junior high. Damn. Thanks a lot. Next semester, I'll be 35. Josh is going to attempt to learn B-Dot's vernacular. I'm from the old school. I got a street knowledge. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? It's time for B-Dot's Grammar School. Last week, Josh, you knew where Chirac was. <laughs> Rather, you, I did. Yeah. Robert did. Yeah. I used the lifeline. <laughs> yes. and, and speaking of that, 336-777-1600 if you want to be my lifeline this week. Absolutely. Um, you also knew what YPPO was. <laughs> you did not know. I figured that out. Yeah. You Why didn't people? know what a kickback was. Uh-huh. You did not know what ONG was, which is on God. Still getting text about that. Really? Yeah. On God. Are people upset about that? Yeah. Why are they upset about that? They just like, how can you have a radio show and be that stupid? <laughs> In the minds of young people, I am what they called an old. <laughs> I don't, that might be out of date already. I don't know if they an call old? him. <laughs> I'm an old. Ah, he's one of those uh, olds. And you didn't know what it meant to go fed when someone's going fed, which means being turned or enjoying the moment, et cetera, et cetera. This week, five new words. Your first word. What is snatched? Snatched. S-N-A-T-C-H-E-D. Snatched. So this isn't like I'd imagine. This is not my answer, but just Uh-oh. me talking out loud. Okay. Like me snatching a now and later during the commercial break, you bringing snacks in here despite there being a blatant sign that says no snacks in the studio. I kind of do what I want, but no. This has <laughs> I just nothing. tried it now and later for the first time in my life, by the way. He did. He tried apple flavor, I believe. This. Yeah, tried apple, and he Pretty really good. enjoyed it. Yeah. No, that doesn't have anything to do with you taking things that belong to me. That is um, illegal. I will give you a hint. Uh, last week, B-Dot had a tweet about Adele 
saying she looked pretty snatched. Facts. That was one hell of a clue without him using a lifeline, Rob. Snatched. I might need the the lifeline on the phone. 336-777-1600 on the phone might need one of those. Snatched. Okay. It means when somebody is looking good, like looking attractive. Snatched. It means to have a nice body. So I will give you that. Yes, they are snatched. They're looking good. They're looking very attractive. But it means to have a nice body. Got it. Nice body. Snatched. (laughs) Next. (laughs) Got it. What does it mean, Josh, to beat a face? (laughs) (laughs) Aaron seems like he knows it. No, Um, I was just saying this this could go really bad. (laughs) Beats. A face. <laughs> Don't say that thing that's on the front of your lobe, neither. <laughs> Stay away from that. Stay away from that one. <laughs> Stay away from the lobe. Say life. something else. <laughs> what does it mean, Josh, to beat a face? <sighs> Again, if you would like to be a lifeline, 336 is the area code 777 <laughs> Uh, I'm trying not to go. To, to the lifelines, but I'm going to go to Aaron because he seemed pretty confident. Glad you didn't go to me because I have no idea. <laughs> Beat a face. Help me. Um, Girls do this uh. in hopes that you will find them attractive or some girls don't do it for men. They just do it so they feel better themselves. They beat their faces. Oh, so like putting makeup and such on. That is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Beating your face <laughs> is to put on makeup. You guys can't see Josh's face when he gets an answer correct, yeah. even through Lifeline. <laughs> oh, man. But he is ecstatic. <laughs> he has not been filled with this much joy since Easter, and he was seven. Like, he has got so many presents in the living room. Why did you choose Easter? I was my favorite as a kid. Candy, and you got to smash some eggs. Your third word is four letters. Four letters. Y K T V. Y K T V. What does that mean? Y K T V. There's an acronym. Man, this this seems like a bit much. It seems excessive. <laughs> <laughs> These dadgo kids and their lingo. Have you seen the one, Rob, that's like 18 letters long and it's like if you can understand this? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, put your, put your, it's on live. I'll give you $1,000. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. YKTV. Yeah, YKTV. What does that mean? Man. I mean, you think you figure out the first few and then TV? I'm going to take, I'm going to take a swing. All right. Young kids television? Like, man, <laughs> that's what the not, kids are watching? I don't know. You know the vibes. You know the vibes. That's what it means. You know the vibes. This is a relatively new one, though, so I yeah. want... Uh, Josh, this is for extra credit. Do you think you could get S-T-A-H-N-A-H? Oh, extra credit. Write it down. Write the letters down. Say it again. S-T-A-H-N-A-H. 
No, I don't got it. Sometimes a homie need a hug. <laughs> Get out of here. I what, don't have that one written down, no. What is a thirst trap, Josh? This is your fourth word. Oh, you I know this two. one. I know, I know thirst trap. What is a thirst trap? Oh, man. Josh is like, I follow nose all the time. <laughs> yeah. It's like, <laughs> don't look at my Instagram feed. It's like people who, you know, look at looking for attention and they might they might post very seductive photos, salacious looking photos to try and get people to slide into dimensions or into the DMs. That is 100% correct. That is 100% correct. So you have already won, Josh, with three out of the four so, four so far. So good job. Yeah. Your final word. Bop. <laughs> B-O-P. What is a bop? <sighs> Not to be confused with a bopper in Texas. Oh. This is just I was a about bop. to say that. <laughs> Bopper in Texas. Yeah, yeah. That's that's where I was going. Yeah. A bop. Um, I'm gonna say it's like a really good song. That's a bop. A bop is a really good song. A bop is a really good song. Look at my boy. Just jamming to Coldplay. They got some bops. Yeah, they do. This is like five weeks in a row. Josh has won. I'm I'm so impressed. No way. Josh didn't win last week. I did and not win last week. last week. Okay, okay. So, I don't I mean, think he won the week before that either. But he's he's coming along though. I he guess is. is what I'm saying. I'm 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 proud of you. I also got. I would have won on my own. Yeah. Yeah. I've just I was doing the counts and we've done 40 words. I'm trying to think of a way to give Josh a a, a big quiz. <sighs> oh no! Like a cumulative exam yes, exactly. to make sure I remember. Yes. Have you retained. This I've information? retained the Absolutely. information. So next week I'll have something figured out. I'll get in touch with you, Rob. Yeah. We'll put something together and For give sure. them a super quiz on next week. Uh, we can do that. Yeah. I'm now, excited. Josh, are you able to put your five words in order to tease for your next segment? I think so. I mean, Robert, you can keep the song going because that's a bop. <laughs> like, <laughs> this next segment is the radio equivalent of a thirst trap. I mean, mm. we're going to not just be looking good. Like, you're going to say, these guys, they, they're snatched. Mm. Uh, this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. We need to, I need to work on it. Maybe I'll beat a face. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like I'm really retaining this information well. Like, I think you kind of know how it's supposed to sound. I mean, why KTV? <laughs> I'm getting my mic up. Uh, is that it for the show today, Robert? Have we heard enough? All right, guys. We're out in 30 seconds. Appreciate it, BDOT. It has been a lot of fun. Up next! <laughs> Why the correct choice for the NBA? And also, for Adam Silver is staring them right in the face. This is the drop. What are you talking about? What's he talking about? I'm talking about the one and only Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. Now being joined by Katie Peralta of the Charlotte agenda this morning. She had the headline about Charlotte pipe and foundry, which is an uptown Charlotte century old manufacturer 
that's going to be relocating from Uptown, which frees up an expansive 55-acre property. And it's also a property that David Tepper has been talking about could be a new stadium site. I think he said that a few months ago in February. We had the headline in March where Mecklenburg County was appraising the value of Bank of America Stadium. They said it was somewhere between $150 million to around $500 million in value. David Tepper had his own personal appraisal, and he said it was $87.2 million. He said for years he wants a new stadium. So, Katie, you've done great reporting on this, so I'm just going to ask you, does it seem like an inevitability that there's going to be a new stadium in the next, let's just call it, five to seven years for the Panthers? I I would extend the timeline just a little bit uh, based on a number of unknowns. Um, first of all, funding. Uh, second of all, uh, the city's willingness to help pay for this kind of thing. But I think uh, a new stadium, one that is state-of-the-art, one that has a roof or dome um, or some other covering uh, that, uh, that will enable them to host things like Final Fours, the Super Bowl, etc., um, I think – for a facility like that, it's a matter of when, not if. Um, I would think that within the next, you know, five years, there will be some very serious conversations about this kind of facility. Um, I think that within 10 years, um, perhaps that would be the time frame that we could see a new stadium. Here's what I've learned about Tepper, just from watching uh, from afar and covering Panther stuff as well, not getting to know him from a business perspective. He seems to be very determined. He has the resources to get exactly what he wants. He talked about in his first press conference, hey, I might be willing to move team headquarters to South Carolina, and then he gets the tax breaks he wants in Rock Hill, and up we see a uh, practice facility that's going to be state-of-the-art that opens in 2022. He said he wanted an MLS team, and he pays $125 million more in an expansion fee to make that happen than the other two teams that got expansion fees, uh, expansion teams last year. In dealing with them just from the business perspective, what is something you've come to learn about him and his business methods from following it closely? I would echo a trend that you just voiced. When when David Tepper wants something to happen, he has a way of making it happen. Um, like those items you just picked off. I mean, MLS, the Rock Hill facility. Um, he mentioned the practice bubble early on. We have that coming. He mentioned concerts early on. Uh, of course, we don't have concerts right now with the pandemic, but there were a bunch scheduled for this year, and they will come back once the pandemic is over. Um, high school football, that's something he had talked about, and everyone was sort of like, why would you do that? It's not revenue generating. Um, he has a way of making things happen, and I think that that's a combination of things, really. I mean, he is a, a brilliant businessman, to be quite honest. Um, but he also has the means to do so. He's the richest NFL owner. He has a net worth of $12 billion. Um, I think, you know, when, when thinking about some of these things, um, you know, he has had assistance from uh, city, state governments um, with some of these projects. But it's also a matter of um, really figuring out the community benefit. And I think that that's something that um, – we could look at in terms of uh, Eastland, for instance, which is where the MLS team will be headquartered. He's really interested in making that more of a larger community project, uh, something that will kind of revitalize the east side of Charlotte. Um, you know, when when considering um, a brand-new stadium, um, 
you know, you have to think about the fact that he's also mentioned things like an entertainment district uptown and kind of integrating a new NFL stadium into the kind of already vibrant fabric of uptown and kind of making that a more cohesive uh, environment, shall we say. So, you know, you wouldn't have concerts alone at the stadium. You would have entertainment and bars right alongside the stadium, that kind of thing. So I think he... Um, he has a way, really, of understanding to the community pretty well. And for that, I mean, I admire the guy. I, I think that anyone who is a fan of the Panthers or who watches him kind of just a member of this community has, has seen that he's out there and he's um, he's more visible than a lot of, um, I mean, a lot, a lot of other uh, professional sports owners that we are familiar with here in Charlotte. <laughs> uh, she's on Twitter. That's very well put. At, at Katie. Peralta from the Charlotte Agenda. Really interesting stuff on David Tepper and, of course, him trying to maybe position things to purchase this property that's literally a stone's throw. How how far would you say? Maybe a half mile from Bank of America Stadium, if that? Yeah. I mean, yeah, if, if that. It's, it's really, like, almost literally in the shadow of Bank of America Gosh, Stadium. It's it, so it, close. It's, fa- it's fascinating stuff from you, but... What do you what what response have you gotten to the story? How palatable is it to people? I, I know, granted, the pandemic kind of changes things a little bit, but the idea of a new stadium, especially when you see how things have flourished with MLS in Atlanta right down the way, and when you look at the run of new stadiums, I think six of the last new stadiums built for the NFL have hosted Super Bowls. So, I mean, how, how palatable is it? Yeah, I mean. The last few NFL stadiums built, it's kind of like the NFL gives out these treats to uh, different franchises if they if they decide to invest in a new stadium, right? Like you, you build a new stadium, you're awarded with a Super Bowl. We, we've seen that all over the country, Minneapolis, Indiana, um, et cetera. So I think um, certainly it's sort of like the, the next kind of box to check off for him um, in, in terms of kind of really – positioning himself front and center in the NFL. Um, I think that the response has been, um, like, very impassioned, um, for lack of a better term. <laughs> this this has been something that we've been reporting on for almost two years, so it's not really any shock. Um, you know, he's, he's talked about wanting a new stadium. There aren't that many large tracts of land in Uptown Charlotte that would be right for, you know, redevelopment and kind of retrofitting for a professional sports stadium. But, um, you know, I think that the thing that people react to is here's this billionaire um, who wants to build an NFL stadium. He's probably going to get taxpayer dollars to do it. Um, It's it's not a great time to be having this conversation um, given the current economic environment. Uh, You know, like, that said, I, I do think that once these conversations are had um, more seriously in Charlotte and in the rest of the state and South Carolina, maybe, um, that we will be in a better place economically. I, I don't think that this recession is going to last for five years. Um, knock on wood. So uh, the, I think that the, the thing that people are focusing on is the new stadium and David Tepper and that's obviously like the big part of the headline. But the other part is that Charlotte is losing this um, longtime manufacturer that has gotten 
very large tax break to relocate out of Uptown Charlotte um, to a site that they already own. And on top of that, they'll get to sell their land for a very large price. So it's it's sort of a win-win for Charlotte Pipe. Um, it's, it's an interesting loss of blue-collar jobs for Charlotte. Um, but, you know, there's there's a lot of different conversations going on. And by and large, it's it's mostly focused on David Depper. Katie, great work today. Thanks for, uh, thanks so much for spending time with us in the triad today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You got it. She's on Twitter at Katie Peralta from the Charlotte Agenda. Interesting stuff that you can find on the Panthers potentially having a site for a new stadium. Here's a question I have. I don't think Katie could answer it, and I don't think anybody has this answer right now. If there is a new stadium, Robert, new stadium, and it's a stone's throw away from the old site at Bank of America Stadium, where it's currently at, what happens with that site? Because a couple people have thrown this out on Twitter. If you go to m Bank Stadium, you're a Ravens fan. What's right across the way from Bank of America Stadium or uh, from m Bank? The Orioles uh, ballpark. Camden Yards. I'm a huge Orioles fan. Tampa Bay Rays are looking for a home right now. They don't like the drop down there in Tampa. They're, they're exploring the idea of we'll play some of our home games in Montreal and we'll play some of them here in Tampa. I'm just saying maybe it's something to throw out there. Baseball? Maybe in Charlotte? Ah, that's a location. Could be right across the way from this massive stadium that's probably going to happen in the next 10 years in Charlotte. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> what would people think about that? 336-777-1600. If only Charlotte football was actually big enough to to fill that stadium. Can oh. you imagine if they played a game in there? It would be, it would be like... It, I would, it would be like the University of South Florida playing football games at the Tampa Bay... Buccaneers stadium. <laughs> wait, oh, wait, that actually happened. <laughs> or like the Temple Owls playing in the link, which actually happens. I've been there. I've seen it. Looks like a raccoon got lost in the stand <laughs> or a skunk, and people were like, peace. I'm out of here. <laughs> Tulane, now has, Tulane now has an on-campus stadium, but before like five years ago, five or six years ago, they were playing in the Superdome. That's got to be nice as a player, though. You're like, no. I don't I don't deserve this. It I don't just looks, no, it's not, because there's not the same amenities. Like, I could speak from the media perspective. You go in there, oh, are we going to the same press row that the Saints media goes to? No, no, you're going a, a, a level above that. Oh, cool. Well, that stinks. Yeah, and I'm sure the players, here's what I found when it comes to stadiums. The more seats there are, the if you don't have a great crowd, the more it shows. <laughs> like if you have, let's say, five thousand people at an on-campus stadium, let's say like BB&T Field for Wake Forest okay. holds thirty thousand. Five thousand, not great. It's not good, but nobody's gonna crush you. I think for it, if you have five thousand in the Superdome. It looks like 12 people were there. 12. I still think Wake might get crushed if they only had 5,000 yeah, people. Yeah, probably there. would. I'm being a little extreme here. 
Speaking of Wake basketball, we've been doing our deep dives for ACC Big Four schools this week. Yesterday it was Duke Carolina. Today it's NC State and Wake Forest. And just looking at this roster, without one-time transfers, Wake is going to be thin. That's the best way I can put it. <laughs> Isaiah Wilkins, he's the former Mount Tabor standout, transfers from Virginia Tech to Wake. If he's eligible, that obviously would be a very good thing. There's still scholarships remaining for Wake Forest. Maybe these ETSU transfers choose to play for the Deeks. Of course, there's a lot of factors in that. Can they academically qualify at a place like Wake Forest? That remains to be seen. But based on everything I've heard about Davian Williamson, who's from Winston-Salem, he's somebody they think can qualify. And from a basketball perspective, one of the three leading scorers on the Buccaneers last year. Bo Hodges, one of those three leading scorers too, could be a really good small forward slash shooting guard, and that's exactly what Wake's looking for. But it doesn't seem like the Deeks have ha attracted a lot of interest from him or shown a lot of interest in Hodges. Wake Forest, right now, they only have like four kids on the roster that I know can play at the ACC level. Neith, Masood, Musius, and Odiaguama. I have faith in some of the newcomers. Marcus Watson and Ian Dubose. I don't know if it's Dubose or Dubois. I'm just going to be honest up front. Scored a lot at Houston Baptist, but can translate to the ACC. We'll see. Watson showed a lot of things as a high school player out of Chicago. He's going to get an opportunity to back up Neith. Tariq Ingram. Got hurt right before the start of last year. There's enough talent to exceed expectations. Granted, expectations are very low for Wake Forest in year one under Coach Forbes, but effort and energy can go a long way. Personality and good salesmanship as well. The fan base is already ignited in a very short amount of time under this coach. People know who he is now. I think the approval rating is very high, especially when he keeps Randolph Childress on staff, which is something that was made official earlier today. As for NC State, I, I'm very high on the pack. I know they're losing Markel Johnson and CJ Bryce, and they're gonna be losing Yeah. They're gonna be losing this kid that would have been their best recruit in the class, Josh Hall, but they do have five of their seven leading scorers returning. And past Hall, they still have a pretty good class. It looks like this is gonna be the first time Kevin Keats has the depth to play the way that he wants to. Ideally, Keats, he's going to want to play 10 people and have them play at least 10 minutes. When you look at the UNCW teams that were good under Keats, they had nine or 10 players averaging at least 10 minutes. At NC State, only three players had that last year. Or excuse me, eight last year, three the year before that, and three the year before that. So he hasn't been able to secure that depth, but with... Devin Daniels back, who I really thought, by and large, was the most complete player for NC State last year. Jericho Hellum showed a lot of things down the stretch. Funderburk and Bates, they're probably going to make up the best ACC front court out there. I, I, there. There are reasons to be optimistic. I, I think there's a lot of depth on this team, and they're going to be improved. Braxton Beverly, I picked on him a little bit the last few years, but it was mainly out of a place of, hey, if, if NC State's going to be an NCAA tournament team. It's hard to really see that if 
Beverly is your best shooter. Like, you want to have Beverly on your team, but have him be your second best or your third best shooter. If he's your go-to shooter, I just don't know if he's capable of that. Now you're bringing in this four-star in Cam Hayes who's going to play point guard, and I think it's a good point guard tandem with him and Beverly. Perfect role for Beverly. Coming off the bench, six-man, that's a good spot. He's a senior. He's aggressive. Struggles a bit defensively, but he can hit big-time shots. We've seen it in the past. So I I like what NC State's putting together. Wake Forest, they're going to need some help from waivers in order to have depth and have players get their feet wet in their first year with Coach Forbes. But that's the way I see that half of the ACC Big Four. Robert, what do you got in Ticket to the House today? I think I'm going to shine some light on the DuBose-Dubois situation. And also, the Japanese are taking cat in the hat to a whole nother Do level. you have the pronunciation? No. Oh. That's next on The Drive.